To carry a rabbit's foot is lucky, but it's not as simple as acquiring any old rabbit's foot. It must be the left hind foot, and you must kill the rabbit in a graveyard, on top of a grave, on a Friday, unless it's raining. In which case, if it's raining, you can also do it on a Saturday. Even if it's raining on that Saturday. So really, why not just do it on a Saturday? Additionally, killing the rabbit must happen within one day of the new moon. Easy, right? I'm your host Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric Book Club. Welcome to the full moon episode of April 2020. This episode, we are talking about the traditional folk practices known as conjure. Conjure is a unique magical tradition that combines many different aspects from a multitude of cultures, whether it be Hispanic, African, or Scotch-Irish. It formed in colonial America as an amalgamation of African tribal beliefs, Catholicism, and Protestantism. While the foundations of Conjure all have a very similar structure, they each have their own flavor based on the territories in which they were formed. In the American South, you see a unique combination of Spanish Catholicism and African tribal beliefs. In the Appalachian Mountains, you get a combination of African and Native American tribal beliefs, Irish Protestantism, and Scottish clan systems. The greatest strength of conjure practices is the ability to use items and objects found at hand, items scavenged from nature, around the household, or even repurposed tools. This is one of my favorite things about Katrina Raspold's book, Crossroads of Conjure, is that she compares all these different systems based on various spiritual practices and shows how they are actually very similar in application. In the first section of the book, she talks about hoodoo and voodoo, their origins, and how their formation really shaped America's colonial frontier. Beyond that, she reviews the history of the practice all the way from its origins to the modern age, including a lot of sections on emancipation, the Civil War, and modern marketed hoodoo and voodoo. Additionally, she talks about the spiritual practices and beliefs inherent in each system, the basic spells and spell work, items, and magical devices created for their works. In the second part of her book, she goes into Appalachian granny magic. This unique magic system is kind of a dichotomy because it adamantly follows Protestant religious beliefs. Despite casting spells, curses, and charms, they still attribute their power to God. As you heard in the beginning of the episode, it seems as if the more convoluted or complicated it is to create an item, the more power it will hold. That seems to be a unifying theme in all granny magic. Nothing that is worth doing comes easy. The final section of the book deals with brujeria and curandismo. The unifying factor here is the staunch belief in Catholic traditions. Beyond that, the specifics end up being very regionalized. While all the practices have you using holy water and Hail Marys, the how, why, when, and where are the defining factors. More so, the regional indigenous beliefs seem to shape the direction that brujeria takes in each application. Each section of this book talks about the history, the beliefs, and the artifacts associated with each practice. This book is a good primer into this unique magical tradition. If you want your own copy, I'll post a link in the show notes. For this next part, we're going to get a little bit more focused, specifically on the divination aspect of conjure magic. I'll be referring specifically to a book that came out a few months ago called Divination Conjure Style, Reading Cards, Throwing Bones, and Other Forms of Household Fortune-Telling by Star Cassis. 
For me, the biggest selling point of this book is that Star Cassis is a professional conjure woman who works in the French Quarter doing divinatory readings and running her shop named Conjure New Orleans. Her book is divided into three sections. Part 1 is Preparing Your Tools in Space, Part 2 is Card Divination, and Part 3 includes other forms of divination. In Part 1, you're given all the directions for how to prepare and cleanse your ritual materials and tools, but beyond that, Star takes it one step further, and she gives you actual recipes for sacred oils, washes, and waters. The next step incorporates the largest chunk of the book itself, and that is using playing cards for divinatory readings. Apparently, this is something very common to the South and for Conjure, and like I mentioned earlier in some of the other descriptions, that Conjure utilizes items that you have at hand. Not everybody can find or afford tarot cards, so this is an option that you could get at pretty much any grocery store, drugstore, or any mom-and-pop shop. Much like reading tarot cards, each of the suits has their own general meaning. It's not quite as rigid as in tarot decks, though. Hearts, obviously, are going to deal with relationships and love. Diamonds deal with material wealth. Clubs deal more with business and motivation and, and tasks at hand. Whereas spades are more about your drive, your spirit, your will to move forward, and your interactions with other people. While the author goes into the specific meaning of each individual card, it's not necessarily this guide that makes this book indispensable. It's her years of experience as a reader using playing cards and how she sees the interactions between specific suits, numbers, and face cards. For example, here's a few combinations directly from the book. If you have a king or queen between two jacks, you need protection from your enemies. A queen of spades between a king and a queen is a warning of a possible breakup. If you have a seven, ten, and three of diamonds, a secret will soon be told. Even that is just a small sample of the experience and knowledge that Star brings to this book. If this book weren't already such a phenomenal resource, the final section actually adds quite a bit to its information. It provides different divination styles that are otherwise not regularly talked about. It's not easy to find resources on seromancy, bibliomancy, but my personal favorite from this book, osteomancy. Osteomancy is the practice of using bones to divine the future. We've all heard the phrase rolling the bones in reference to, I guess, numerology and dice used for divination, which is a, a whole process in itself. But it goes a lot further back than that. It's not just about using dice, but about using bones themselves and the representations they have. In classic conjure style, you're creating this divinatory set using the materials that you have at hand. This includes the bones of animals and local wildlife. As the bones are drawn, we get results based on the attributes we generally associate with each animal. Because there are fewer results available, and the results are more interpretive, this type of divination very much relies on the experience of the reader themselves. As you can tell, I am a huge fan of this book, and anyone who has a divinatory practice should definitely pick this up and have it in their library, at least as a reference. Again, if you're interested, I will have a link in the notes below. 
For this final section, I want to briefly go over an article posted on Patheos.com entitled Plant Spirit Familiars by Kobe Michael Ward. Often in the magical community, when you think of familiars, you think of animals or animal spirits, helpers who are going to facilitate your practice. Oftentimes, plants are overlooked, seen as merely material components for your workings. Many animist belief systems around the world, though, believe that the spirit of the plant is the source of its power. This may seem foreign to a lot of us until we stop to reconsider a lot of Greek mythology and how they use different spirits to personify the spirit of the plant itself. The best example is a dryad who lived physically within a single tree. If the tree died, the dryad died. If the dryad died, the tree too would also perish. The idea then is to cultivate a relationship with a spirit of a specific plant. The author is using this article to lay the foundation for his upcoming class on using plant spirit familiars. The article illustrates that sometimes it's not the concept that is unfamiliar for us, but how we see it. And like the hanged man in tarot, sometimes, to better understand a situation, you just have to view it from a different angle. That concludes the first episode of the Esoteric Book Club. I plan to release these around the full moon, and that means you're actually going to get about 13 episodes rather than 12 a year. I plan to keep the same format going forward, review a book, and possibly talk about an article that I find online. If there's anything specific you would like me to look into, send me an email. Until next time, stay curious and stay weird.